Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, as always. Welcome to the podcast. So this is part two of a two-part series on 110.14, and we're talking about electrical connections. Now, kind of a summary, if in case you didn't watch part one or listen to part one, I should say. Uh, part one, we kind of talked about the, the terminations and the dissimilar metals and that you shouldn't have a, a physical contact between dissimilar metals such as copper or aluminum. And we talked about the use uh, of solders, fluxes, inhibitors, and compounds, things like that, like oxide inhibitors on aluminum, which could be used in aluminum and copper. Um, they're not required generally. Uh, except when the manufacturer tells you to use them. Uh, again, there's a difference between a recommendation and what somebody puts in their product listing. If the product listing calls for you to use it, for example, then you use it. Uh, and that's been around a long time. Um, so most of them, panel boards, for example, they don't require any oxide inhibitor on aluminum. Uh, the Aluminum Association will recommend the use of it, but also they'll tell you that copper really should get oxide inhibitors as well, because obviously we know copper oxides as well, okay? So it oxidates, things like that. So at any rate, we covered that in part one. We talked about the terminals, uh, the limitations, and making sure you make a good connection without damaging it, over-torquing, under-torquing, the importance of that, uh, things like that. Uh, we also talked about splices, and I gave you a little story about how I do solder the joints from time to time. Uh, one out of four homes, for example, in my business, we used to solder the joints. One, because the code allows us to, because it was a, it breaks up the monotony of always using things like wire binding devices. For those people that don't know, that's like a wire nut or a wing nut. Um, things like that. So it kind of breaks it up, and the code gives us the provisions for it. In fact, it even tells us that after we make those splices... That we have to insulate them and that's where you use the wire binding device but if you solder it also requires that if you're going to use solder that you have to mechanically and electrically secure that connection without solder so in history that's why wire nuts for example you'll see the manufacturers say there's no need to pre-twist the conductors because the wire device will do that but you always see people twist it Simply as habit, because that's how we used to do it when we did solder conductors, uh, because we have to pre-twist it mechanically before we apply solder so that it stays mechanically held and electrically joined, okay? And it's not relying on the solder alone, okay? So I guess in legacy, that just continued on. So go back and listen to that podcast. That's a great podcast on electrical connections. But this is part two, and we're going to talk about terminal limitations today. Uh, and I kind of go over this in my derating demystified video that we did. It's available on the YouTube channel. You can get there through our website, masterthenec.com. Just go to the top and click on the YouTube button and you'll you'll find it. But the reality is terminal limitations are the most significant component to 
to potential installation failure that we've got. Because if you don't terminate it right, you don't take into account terminal limitations in the devices that it's being terminated to, then you create something that's potentially going to fail. And if something fails in an electrical system, then the whole thing starts to break down. So if you think of the electrical wiring in a building as the veins or the vascular system, your electrical panel as the heart of the system, that all of those connections and terminations and things like that are really the binding components that tie everything together. If you think of tendons and ligaments, they all tend to have connection points to moving parts, knees and arms and elbows. And If you don't take care of those terminations, things will go bad. Things will begin to fail. So when we think about equipment provisions, we're talking about termination provisions on equipment. And we'll have what's called temperature limitations. And that's going to be applied to um, the equipment, the conductors, terminals, uh, all of that. And we're going to kind of cover all that in a basic overview here. All right, so where am I at in the code? So if you're on the PDF version, I'm on page 48 of the PDF version. If you're in the hardbound version, then I'm in page 45. And I'm talking about 110.14c. Now, as you go through your electrical career, you're going to hear references to terminal limitations, 110.14c, 1 and 2, at nausea. Okay, You're going to hear it all the time. So it's really important that you take a step back and you really try to focus on what it's talking about. What is it? When I'm dealing in ampacities, you'll notice that in 31015B16, that ampacity table, that all-glorious table, is very specific. And it has three columns for copper and three columns for copper. I mean, for aluminum and copper clad aluminum. Okay. And you'll notice that it's 60, 75, and 90. Okay. What does that mean? Well, that is very indicative of not only its insulation ratings on each one of those conductors used in that table, but it also can correspond back to 110.14c where the terminal limitations are going to dictate it. So we have temperature limitations on conductors. We have temperature limitations on terminals. And we have to to, to make sure that they all correlate to the same understanding when we're working with electrical. All right, so let's read it. C. All right, so at 110.14c, it says temperature limitations. It says the temperature rating associated with the ampacity, see how they work together, of a conductor shall be selected and coordinated so as not to exceed the lowest temperature rating of any connected termination, conductor, or device. Think about that. That is an important statement. The temperature rating that's associated with the ampacity of an actual conductor, okay, is selected and coordinated so as not to see exceed the lowest temperature rating of any connected termination, conductor, or device. It's called the weakest link theory. Again, go watch that derating demystified. You'll get a, a healthier understanding of how we apply terminal limitations. Now, it goes on to say, conductors with temperature ratings that are higher than specified for termination shall be permitted to be used for ampacity adjustment and correction or both. So this is where we get people really, really confused. So 
let's let's look at it this way. Let's say I have a terminal, and we're going to look at each one of these. But let's say I have a terminal limitation that's say 60 degrees, and that's what my terminal limitation. We're going to see that that's the rule. Let's say in 310, excuse me, 110.14c1a. Okay, and you're going to see that it's 60 degrees, and we're going to look at what constitutes 60. But here it's telling you right up front, right in the charging statement, it's saying, hey, it's okay to use a conductor with a higher temperature rating, say a 90, okay, when you're going to apply things like an adjustment or correction or even both. So we talk about the rules in 31015B2A and B3A, which is dealing with adjustment and corrections or, uh, or ambient temperatures. It, those type of things are going to change the ampacity of a conductor. Heat is never a good thing. Okay, The more heat, whether it's mutual heating or ambient heating or number of current carrying conductors, it's going to lower the ability for that conductor to carry the amount of current that originally was stated in the table. So you have to do something to it to compensate. And so here up front, it's telling you, hey man, I'm gonna, that conductor could be 90 degree and I know the termination is gonna limit you to 60. I get it. But I'm gonna let you use all of the benefits of that higher rated insulation, okay? In order to apply those adjustment and corrections. Now, once you would do all that, now you're gonna see what a new value is of this conductor, and you have to remember that you still can't exceed that of the terminal limitations, which would be in this case 60 degree. So all we were really doing is making sure that we had a conductor, that we picked the right conductor, we applied adjustment and corrections to it. Do we still have a conductor that can handle the 60 degree amount of ampacity that's in the table? Yes or no? If it happens to, after adjustment and corrections, drop below the values in the 60 degree table, then we got a problem. We're going to have to jump up to the next size. So what do I teach students to do is pick the conductor under the 60 degree column that has the ampacity that you need for the job, okay, if you're limited to that 60. Pick what you need. Then look at the 90 and apply your adjustment and corrections from the 90, provided that your conductor is rated for 90. Again, you can't do that if it's THWN, just jump to the 90, because it's only got one H, so it's 75, so you would actually jump to the 75 and apply adjustment and corrections. But if it's like a THHN with the two H's, for example, then it's good for 90. Then I could go to the 90 and apply my adjustment and corrections where they're applicable. And then what do I have as an ampacity after that? What is my value that I'm staring at in the face? And then I say, okay, well, let's say a conductor was under the 60 degree columns good for 50 amps. But using the 90 degree to adjust and correct it, after I've adjusted and corrected it, I now have a conductor that's good for, let's say, 65 amps. And I look at it and go, well, wait a minute. It's still good for 65. But because of my terminal limitations, I'm stuck in a 60. So I could put 60 on it. So can I put 60 amps on a conductor that's good for 65 amps after adjustment and corrections? Absolutely. So all you're really doing is double checking your selection. And that's what we do when we're using the 90 degree or even the 75 degree, depending on what the insulation rating is of the conductor. All right, so now let's kind of take that from a, a macro view and let's kind of bring it down into the terminals and what we're dealing with at the terminals. Let's look at the terminal provisions. It says, number one, it says equipment provisions. It says, the determination of termination provisions of equipment shall be based on 110.14C1A, 
or C1B. Okay. Notice there's an or in there. So it's going to depend on what I'm dealing with, whether I'm going to be in C1A or C1B. But then it goes on to say, unless, unless the equipment is listed and marked otherwise, okay, conductor impasties used in determining equipment termination provision shall be based on table 31015B16 as appropriately modified by 31015B7. Okay, so what this is saying is the equipment is listed, unless the equipment is listed and marked otherwise, the conductor's ampacities are really going to be determined using table 31015B16. Okay, and I'll show you how that works in a second. Or if you go watch our D-Rating Demystified video, you really will get a, a full overview of with graphics and everything. Now, what is 31015B7? We're probably familiar with that as that's kind of the old mini table where you're able to use smaller conductors Okay, based on certain conditions of use. In other words, you're not more than 400 amps. You're between 100 and 400. Okay, and it's a single phase application, uh, and you're dealing with that. So, and it's if you're falling in that realm, then you can use the one uh, 310.14b7, which is going to be a little different ampacity. It's based on the 83% of 310.15. Uh, well, actually, it's 83% of the service or feeder's rating. But you start with 31015B16 ampacities and you apply that 83. So then you come up with the values that are in 31015B7. So you have a little bit of math to do. Um, so, But for us, we're going to stick purely in the ampacity values and the columns that are in 31015B16 uh, and understand what our terminal limitations are so that we know where we're working with. Remember, at any point you're confused, just pause the podcast Rewind it back and listen again. Sometimes I have a tendency to go really fast, and so I'm really trying to make a an effort to slow down a little bit. Okay, um, so go watch that derating demystified. It talks in a little more uh, in depth uh, explanation. All right, so in our case here, let's start looking at terminal provisions. So we're looking at 110.14c1a. Okay, that was the first one. It says. Termination provisions of equipment for circuits rated 100 amperes or less or that are marked 4 AWG through 1 AWG conductors. And again, AWG means American Wire Gauge, the old Brown and Sharp method that we converted over the years to what we call the American Wire Gauge. Um, shall be used only for one of the following. Okay, so you pick one of the following. So let's look here. So again, the termination provisions of equipment for circuits 100 amperes or less or that are marked 14 AWG through 1 AWG shall be used only for one of the following. Now, number one, it says conductors rated 60 degrees C. Okay, so if I don't know anything and I don't have any markings, if it's old or existing or whatnot, and I'm running with 100 amps or less, or the conductor size can be identified as 14 through 1, then it's assumed that the conductor's rating is to be 60 degrees C, and I'm going to choose the ampacity values that are within the 60 degrees C column of 31015B16. That's a first given. Remember, I can choose only one here, so that would be one of my choices. Next choice, number two, it says, okay, I get you. Now, 
Understanding those same sizes, 100 amperes or less, or 14 through 1, the second option says, okay, look, conductors with a higher temperature rating, and what would be a higher temperature rating? 75 or even 90 is higher than 60, okay, right? It says, so the conductors with a higher temperature rating, provided the ampacity of such conductor is determined based on the 60 degree C ampacity of the conductor sized used. So remember what he said in the charging statement here? that I can use a 90 or even a 75 for adjustment and correction purposes as long as I understand that I'm going to select the conductor and its ampacity based on the 60 degree column. But I can use a higher temperature to apply those adjustment and corrections. But I have to remember, when it comes to it, I'm only doing that to verify that my conductor still has the amount of ampacity necessary to handle the job and that it doesn't fall below the value that's given to me in the requirements to choose from the 60 degree column. You see what I'm saying? All I'm doing is verifying it. So that's why I teach apprentices, go to the 60 degree column first, pick the conductor you need to handle the calculated load that you're dealing with, then go to the 90 if that's what your conductor's insulation is rated for, apply any adjustment or corrections that might be evident, and then look at it and say, well, what's my new ampacity now? And what does the 60-degree column say? Did I fall below the value that's in the 60-degree column for that size conductor? Then I had to jump up in size. If I'm equal to or above the value that's in the 60-degree column, then I'm good to go. Let's roll. You see what I'm saying? All right. Now, we're not done. We got two more. So the other option is to go to three. And what does three say? Okay. Three says, okay, well, you know what? For those sizes, again, 100 amperes or less, Remember what we're talking about here, or 14 through 1 gauge. Okay, remember that. 14 through 1 is where we're in that 60 degree provision. It says conductors with a higher temperature rating if the equipment is listed and identified for use with such conductors. What does that mean? Well, think of it this way if I've got a breaker that's rated 75 slash 60, and I got a device that's rated 75 60, then I can choose the 75. Remembering that I use that for adjustment and corrections as long as I don't exceed the value of the 60 degrees. So I'm really doing a checks and balances. But because my devices are both rated 75 or a higher temperature, then I can use that higher temperature. Okay? Just kind of, you know, it's just telling me, look, man, my conductors with a higher temperature rating can be used if that equipment is listed and identified for use with such conductor. You got to remember that some pieces of equipment might not be listed and identified for use with a higher temperature rated conductor. So just kind of keep that in mind. Now lastly is probably one of the ones that I find pretty important only in a sense that when we're dealing with motors and I get a lot of questions about people when they get exam questions on motors and they want to know what the terminal ratings are um, and so this one's kind of beneficial because most of the exam questions are going to deal with motors that are marked with design letters B or C or D so this is kind of a given that you should keep in mind. Now again, if the question asks something different, then you know you gotta be able to be, uh, you gotta adapt to it. But listen to this one. It says, okay, what about conductors for motors? It says, number four, it says for motors, now remember we're still at the 100 amperes or less in 14 through one gauge. It says, for motors marked with design letters B, C, or D, conductors having an insulation rating of 75 degrees C or higher 
shall be permitted to be used provided the ampacity of such conductors does not exceed the 75 degrees C ampacity. So here's an allowance when you're dealing with motors to say, okay, it might be 100 amperes or less. It might be 14 through 1. Um, but I don't have to be locked into the 60 degree if I'm dealing with motors that have a design letter B, C, and D because typically those terminals are rated for 75 degrees C. So as long as I choose a conductor with uh, having an insulation rating of 75 degrees C or higher, which could be a 90 as well, then I can use that conductor with the 75 degree ratings and the ampacities that correlate with it. Okay, so I get to bump over into the 75 degree C column, if you will. Okay, so most exams for motors, you know, are going to have the terminal ratings on the exam, but this is something to remember that if you get bogged down, you can come to here in 110.14C1A, and you'll understand that if the sizing is 100 amps or less or 14 through 1, that you can understand that if it's a design letter B, C, or D motor, then the terminals are going to be inherently 75 degrees C. One of the things that might trick you on an exam is if they don't give you this information and you have to ferret it out, okay? So just keep those things in mind. All right, so that's your four options. So in the real world, here's what probably happens for me and you. In the real world, we're probably going to use conductors that are rated 75 degree or 90 degree. Most of the time, we're going to use THHN. Or if we're using one that's rated 75, like THWN, it's going to have the dash 2 on it. And that dash 2 tells me that it's rated for 90 degree wet or dry. Because in the dry mode, it's THHN. In the wet mode, it's THWN dash 2. That dash 2 signifies okay for 90 degree in the wet application. So that's what we're going to run into. And that's the same for XHHW. XHHW is, is 90 dry, but 75 wet. But you add that dash 2 onto it, and now it's good for 90 degree ratings, both wet and dry. And again, that's important for designers because that means I can apply my adjustment and corrections from the higher value in the 90 degree column. Uh, that's a benefit. And some people lose sight of that. Okay. All right. So. That's pretty easy to understand the application. So remember, if all I can see is the wire sizes and nothing else, I'm stuck at 60. Uh, if I choose to use a conductor of a higher uh, ampacity or insulation rating, that's fine. Just remember, if I can use it for adjustment and corrections as long as I don't see the values in the 60 degree after I apply those adjustment and corrections. Remember that. Um, I'm okay to use a higher temperature rating if the equipment is listed identified for such. So if it's listed for 75, I can use 75 degree ratings and get to ignore the 60, okay? That's done all the time. Uh, usually when this happens is, what happens if I have a breaker that's 75 and I have a receptacle that's rated 60? Well, if that's the case, then I'm bound by the weakest link, and that is the 60, because the equipment is not listed and identified for that higher temperature rating. It's listed, the, the weakest link is that device, like a receptacle, that is listed for 60. So I have to keep that in mind when I'm doing it, and my values can exceed that of the 60 degree column, all right? But, as we saw in item two, I can still use a higher rated conductor's insulation value, but I still have to remember that I'm gonna be firmly planted in the 60 degree column at the end of the day, all right? All right, so now let's go on to B. This is 110.14C1B. Uh, now this is dealing with, let's just say, all of those applications that are over 100 amperes, or that are dealing with larger than one AWG. AWG. And I like to say it easier than that. If I was writing this, um, I probably would have said it a little different. I'm okay with the over 100, but I probably would have said one aught and larger. Um, 
rather than have people confused where it used one AWG in both the smaller and the larger because it says for it actually says conductors that are larger than one. Uh, to me, I would have said conductors one ot and larger. It just, <laughs> but I didn't submit it, so hey, it is what it is. All right, so let's look at this now. So what are we talking about now? Now we're talking about the termination provisions for the various equipment and lugs that are associated with that equipment that are over 100 amperes, okay? Or that are marked larger than one AWG. So for all intents and purposes, one ot and larger. Uh, shall be used only for one of the following. Okay, so I can't cherry pick here. It's one of the following I have to apply. All right, what's the first one? Similar to the first one that was in the uh, 100 amps or less. And that was the conductors rated 75 degrees C. So if I didn't know anything and I walked into this installation and it was over 100 amperes, all right, and the conductors were one eye larger, uh, then I have to remember that the conductors and opacity values and the insulation value and everything I'm dealing with the conductors when I correlate it to its opacity is going to be based on 75 degrees C column. That's first and foremost. However, I do get some other provisions here. And the other provisions allow me to go into item number two. There's only two here, not like the four for the 100 amps or less or 14 through one gauge. Uh, here it says conductors with a higher temperature rating and what is higher than the 75? The 90, okay? Uh, and in some cases, even 105 if we're dealing with machine tool wire or something like that. So anyway, it says conductors with a higher temperature rating provided the opacity of such conductor does not exceed the 75 degrees C opacity of the conductor size used or up to their opacity if the equipment is listed and identified for use with such conductors. Okay, so so this is what limits us to the, to the, the 75, even if we use the 90 for adjustment and corrections. However, it's also important to understand this rule because the last part of that is real important. Uh, typically on a device, you're not going to have lugs that are going to be higher than 75 degree rating because of the, the heat that's generated on breakers and it's part of their listing. But you might have different splice or tap lugs that are rated for 90. And for those segments between those points, then I can use that conductor at its full opacity value of the 90. A lot of people don't understand that. Where I have terminal limitations that literally place limitations on it, you'll have those applications. Now, what is a good example of this? When people ask me about this one, I like to give them a great example. So let me give you one. All right, in your code book, if you actually go to feeders, for example, 215.2A1, you'll see some exceptions. Now, one of the most notable exceptions is the second exception. And it says, and I'm going to read it because it's important to see how this all winds together. That's the beauty of the code, man. I, I tell you what, I can read this book over and over and over again, and it just amazes me how we're able to bring all this stuff together to create minimally safe applications. It says, look, where a portion of the feeder is connected at both its supply and its load ends to separately installed pressure connections as covered in 110.14C2, because kind of what we're reading now, it shall be permitted to have an allowable ampacity not less than the sum of the continuous load plus the non-continuous load. That means it takes the value at 100%, okay? of the continuous load and the non-continuous load. And it says, no portion of the feeder installed under this provision 
of this exception shall extend into the enclosure maintaining either of the uh, uh, containing either the feeder supply or the feeder load terminations as covered in 110.14c1. All right, let me give you a kind of an overview of what we're talking about here. Basically, the beauty of this is saying, look, I have the limitations at, let's, let's, let me paint you a picture. I got two panels in each end and I want to run parallel sets. And so from those panels, I'm terminating on breakers. So I'm limited to 80% of that breaker's rating or the conductor size at 125% based on the limitations of the breaker. That's the manufacturers do that, not us. So once it goes up into, let's say, a wire way or a splice box, it then comes to this device, okay? And in this device, as we saw, will allow you to change over, and that device might be rated at 90 degrees C. But we know that we're limited from the terminals in the panel up to that device. But once we get to that device, then we can run in these raceways all the way down to another box, where in that box it hits another separate uh, splicing device that might be rated for 90 degrees C terminations. And then it changes over and then drops down to the actual panel on that end. Well, the parts that drop down are limited. 125% of the continuous and 100% of the non-continuous. However, for the portion between those two splice points, I can take those conductor values at 100% of the continuous load and 100% of the non-continuous load. And if those conductors are, if those splice points are rated at 90 degrees C, then I can treat them as 90 degrees C. Okay, just kind of the way to, to think about the concept. So when you read the bottom part here of 110.14 C2 uh, C1B. It says, conductors with a higher temperature rating provided the ampacity of such conductors does not exceed 75. We're very familiar with that. Uh, ampacity of the conductor size used or, or up to their ampacity if the equipment is listed and identified for use with such conductors. So if I have a piece of equipment that has terminations based on 90 degrees C, then I can use it for that rating. Okay? Important things to keep in mind. Now, bringing this back to that example I gave you, you still got to keep in mind, that was just a gross example, but you still have to keep in mind that the overcurrent device has to be sized based on those conductors that are going from the overcurrent device to that first splice. So um, while you can potentially have a reduction in conductor size uh, in the top portion that's going from one splice to another, uh, it doesn't mean that that you can use the 9 degree ampacity values up there and change the whole aspect of the installation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that if terminals are rated for 90 degrees C, then you can use the 90 degrees C ampacity. But in the example I gave, you're still going to be limited by the overcurrent device and the conductors that are terminated in. That's just a gross example that I wanted to give you where you might have a terminal that's rated 90. But again, you're still going to be limited by the overcurrent protective device protecting those conductors at their ampacity. Okay? Don't want anybody to get overly confused at that example. I'm not saying that you can now use between point A and point B of a splice the 90 degree ampacity value. Uh, in theory, you could but you're still going to be limited to the conductors that are going from those splices down to the breaker, and that's going to be limited to its termination and its overcurrent protection of the overall circuit. Okay, so don't, hopefully I didn't confuse you on that. But I really was trying to paint an example of if all my lugs, if I get a breaker 
that has a 90 degree rated lug on it? Can I use the 90 degree opacity values for it? Absolutely. But most breakers are not rated for that. So that's what we're talking about. So really you only have two allowances here. You do it at 75, you do adjustment and corrections at whatever the installation rating is, and you make sure that after you apply those adjustment corrections that you still have a conductor, one, that can handle the load, and two, the values you're using, and when you select it, don't exceed that of that column's represented opacity. In this case, 75 degrees C, if it's one out and larger, or it's over 100 amperes, okay? All right, so that's kind of the, the overview of everything. Um, so next, we're going to go into what's called separate connector provisions, all right? And so that one leads me into what I just talked about, uh, and I kind of explained it, uh, and I probably should have waited. Uh, so this one says, okay, remember that allowance we just talked about? Uh, you have what's called separate connector provisions, and it says separately installed pressure connectors shall be used with conductors at the ampacities not exceeding the ampacity at the listed and identified temperature rating of the conductor. Okay, so 90 degree rated terminal, it's a separately connected provision, it's rated at 90, you can use a 90 degree insulation, you're not to exceed that, and the ampacities that you use are based on whatever the temperature rating of that separate connecting provisions. However, there is an informational note that reminds you, and it's kind of what I just said earlier. With respect to 110.14C1 and C2, equipment marking or listing information may additionally restrict the size and temperature rating of connected conductors. So that was my example. So in that example where I had two panels, they go up to a splice point, then you have the conductors between them, can be rated at 90, and the ampacity value could be used at 90 because the terminals in those splice, those separately provided splice blocks, are rated 90. Remember, because they're connected to a conductor that's terminated onto, say, a 75-degree rated terminal down in the panel, you're still going to be limited. Yes, there's a benefit under 215.2 to be able to potentially reduce the size of your parallel conductors at least between those two points but you have to understand that you still got those terminal limitations and that's why it's so powerful to understand that 110.14c1 really governs the sizes and opacities and how you get there okay so i kind of jumped the gun on that but you get you get what i'm saying all right Basically, all it's really saying is if I have a lug and it's separate from a piece of equipment, can I use that lug if it's rated at 90? Can I use it at 90? Absolutely. Could that same lug have another conductor coming into it from something that's actually going to limit its ampacity or its temperature rating? Absolutely. It could, in which it probably nullifies any benefit that you might get from the 90 degree lug. Um, so it just keep those in mind how you, how you do it. Now, could it mean that I might be able to use a smaller conductor between those two splice points if I can use a 90 degree, whereas I had to use a 75 to get me to that splice from the breaker to the splice, but then once I get to the splice point between two splice points, could I possibly drop down in a conductor size that has a higher ampacity at 90 and still achieve the same goal? Absolutely. And electricians who utilize this can save a ton of money as long as you understand how to do that. But I'll do a separate podcast on that to maybe explain that out in a little more detail. We might benefit you somewhere down the line. All right, so next, let's lastly look at installation, and this is the torquing requirements. Under the 2017 National Electrical Code, you had an implementation of a torquing requirement. Uh, it's not new. 110.3b had it. 
Uh, and all the manufacturers have torquing requirements. Lug manufacturers give torquing requirements. You have to follow the manufacturer's instructions. So that's not new. But now it's embedded into the code uh, and it's a little easier to understand what the manufacturer is wanting you to do. And it says installation. And again, we're talking about what are we talking installation? It's all this follows under electrical connections. It says where a tightening torque is indicated as a numeric value on equipment or in, or in installation instructions provided by the manufacturer, that would be on that legend or that, that product specification sheet or whatever it would be, it says a calibrated torque tool shall be used to achieve the indicated torque value. Now, it says, unless the equipment manufacturer has provided installation instructions for an alter alternative method of achieving the required torque. So a manufacturer might give you a product that comes with their product uh, that, that hooks on to, let's say, a screwdriver or to a wrench. Okay, then it's provided by the manufacturer. In lieu of that, you have to have a calibrated torquing tool. And most of the... the uh, people that deal with this say, well, if it's got to be calibrated, then I need to have it verified. And so I need to see a calibration certificate. Uh, that goes away. Really, that component goes away in the uh, 20, uh, 2020 code. But you, you get the gist of it. It's really all about making sure that you torque it at the proper settings. Again, under-torqued or over-torqued can be equ equally detrimental to the reliability of the system. Trust me. Uh, people think tighter is always better, and that is not the case. Uh, it almost equates to crushing the strands uh, or that old infamous, oh, the, the conductor won't fit in the lug, so I'll remove a strand or two, which is a violation of the code, and you're actually reducing the current carrying capacity of that conductor by removing strands at that termination. Yes, you still got the strand when it goes as far as the conductor is concerned, but when you're making that termination, that's where your heat generally builds up if the termination isn't done right. So if you start stripping away these strands just to make it fit, obviously, in an improperly selected lug, then you got an issue. And that can be exasperated later when you start putting a lot of load on something. So again, make sure you choose your terminals properly. Make sure that even if you're upsizing for voltage drop or whatever, uh, those type of things, remember that just because you're upsizing something doesn't mean that that's the conductor you have to terminate. If it's oversizing it for voltage drop or whatever, then you can splice to it using a proper splice and then change over to the conductor size that you would typically use for that amount of current or that ampacity uh, or whatever that overcurrent device is rated for and then terminate it because really you're only trying to reduce the voltage drop. You still have the adequate level of current carrying capacity of that conductor. Okay, You just upsized it for that. So that is done all the time. Uh, but if the conductor will fit in the lug, just you can go for it and be done with it. All right. So anyway, hopefully I didn't confuse anybody with that one. Um, again, I just wanted to give you some examples of when the 90 could be used. If equipment's rated for 90, you can use it. Uh, the example I gave in uh, 215.2 uh, is where I could have conductors between two splice points that might be smaller in size uh, because they actually can use the 90 to carry a lot more current, but you're still going to be limited to those conductors that actually terminate to the overcurrent device. So just easy for you to understand all that. Don't worry, I'll do a podcast to explain that. I really just wanted you to get the gist of understanding of temperatures, adjustment, and corrections. All right, all right, folks, till next time, stay safe and God bless. And hopefully you visit our website, masterthenec.com. 
learn a little more about the National Electrical Code. If you're interested in taking a course for an exam or you're preparing for an exam or you just want to have a better understanding of the National Electrical Code, visit our website and look up the Fast Tracks program. It's a, it gives you access to one of the best uh, illustrated guides to the NEC in the industry with a lot of additional commentary and videos and podcasts and, and interaction and quizzes and exams and all this other stuff to help you make sure that you pass that exam. But to be honest with you, it's to increase your knowledge of the NEC. So go to our website at masterthenec.com, click on the courses, and you'll see the Fast Tracks program. It's the best program out there to teach you the National Electrical Code. And you got access for 12 full months. All right, folks, till next time, stay safe. God bless. Looking bright Every day is enough